It's good to see you here today. It's good to share this time of fellowship and worship with each of you this morning. And we hope that God's going to bless you in a very special way. We welcome each of you. We welcome our guests, especially this morning, and glad that you're here. We welcome you and want you to know that you're very important to us. And we are glad that you're here and hope you will feel very much a part of our family as we worship God. Let me remind uh, everyone of the attendance uh, sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take them and fill them out. Give us whatever information you feel comfortable giving us. And especially if you would like to receive our email newsletter, put your email address on there. It's a good way to keep up with the opportunities at uh, Community Baptist Church. Also, go ahead and take your phone and check in and let uh, folks know what, that you're here today. And uh, and I'd also like to call your attention to a few announcements. Uh, first of all, our, our youth and children are having a fellowship activity this afternoon at 5 o'clock. And so we invite you uh, to come and be a, be a part of that. Uh, we started that last Last week and had a good time, and we're going to continue that. Uh, so come on out at five o'clock, and our, our youth and children will be having a, a good time uh, this afternoon. Also, some other things that are coming up on uh, the 23rd of September, we are going to be having our annual church picnic at Audubon State Park, uh, and I uh, hope that you can make that. Go ahead and put that on your calendar. It's always a lot of fun, and uh, and we invite everybody to be a part of that. Uh, the voices. Of Elmwood, our upper upperclassmen group uh, will be going to the Voices of Elmwood on September the 28th. We did that last year. Uh, this is at the Elmwood Cemetery in Owensboro, and um, uh, Sue Berry is is an actor in this. I'm not sure what to call it. <laughs> she has a part in it, and what what happened is really interesting because what happens is is that a lot of times when when people pass away, their story is is reduced to maybe an epitaph on a tombstone, and it doesn't really do them justice. And there's a lot of interesting stories, and they have taken is it ten ten people? They have taken ten people in the cemetery, and they have researched them historically and they have people who portray them at the graves and uh, it's really an interest it's not one of those haunted house kind, kinds of things it's a very historical interesting thing and so our, our upperclassmen or anybody who wants to be a part of that uh, can come and, and share that time but we need to let Sue know that today the, uh, uh, so that she can order tickets and Right. And that's a, you know, that's, that question will preach. In a hundred years from now, what are they going to say about you? <laughs> I like that. That's going to come up later. <laughs> Uh, Also, uh, we are receiving donations um, uh, to sell at our Highway 60 yard sale. Uh, That's coming up on uh, October the 5th and 6th, and so it's a good time to clear out your your closets and bring it here to Community Baptist Church, and we'll put it in the yard sale and and make some some money for our missions projects. One other thing 
that I want to call to your attention today. And that is uh, Jerry and Adele Martin. Uh, many of you who have been here a, a while know Jerry and Adele Martin. Uh, they were longtime members of Community Baptist Church. Uh, they, they loved this church more than anything in the world, and they still love this church more than anything in the world, and they love the people of this church. Uh, uh, several years ago, a number of years ago, they moved away from, from Henderson to be with their family in uh, Connecticut. And they are some of the best people that I know. They really are. Their, their lo- love and joy just exudes every fiber of their being. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you look up the word saint in the dictionary, that picture is there. Um, well, Jerry is about to celebrate his 80th birthday. When is that? It's coming up. It's 27th. But they are having a, uh, a surprise birthday party. His family is having a surprise birthday party coming up. Now, most of us can't make it to Connecticut to surprise Jerry and to wish him a happy birthday. We can't go, but we want to send our love and our best wishes to Jerry via video. And so I want to ask everybody to stand up. There is a camera right up there. Frank is uh, is taping this. And those in the back, I want you to kind of come to the front so that, so that you get into the picture as well. And uh, everybody look up at the camera and smile real good. And let's sing happy birthday. Birthday, Jerry. We love you. While you're standing, reach across and grab somebody's hand and welcome them here.
Closing our prayer. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, you are a Lord who walks beside your people. And so we pray for people who walk for justice. We pray that you'll give them courage to speak to power. You are a Lord who raises up those who are bent down low. And so we pray for those who are held down by the grinding matters of life and the indifference of the world. Give them the strength to lift their heads and seek you. You are a Lord who feeds the hungry, and so we pray for all who long for bread and for the means to provide it. Give them meaningful employment. Give them hope and motivation to overcome their exhaustion. And seek not only the bread that fills their bellies, but also the bread of life. You are a Lord who celebrates the small and the insignificant. So we pray for the children and for those who are never noticed. Teach us to notice. Teach us that we can learn from the least of these. You are a Lord who says, follow me. And so we pray for courage and faith in our hearts that we may take up the cross and find that it leads to life. Help us, O God, to not be satisfied with a nominal commitment to you. Help us to truly, truly follow you, whatever that may mean. For it is in the name of our leader and our friend we pray. Amen.
right now, I think his steps are leading our children down to the front for our children's time. Yeah, come. All right. We're going to be right here. Right here. And if you want to sit right there, that's okay, too. If you want to sit in the floor, if you want to stand up, if you want to sit right back there with, with Mary Beth, that's okay, too. You, you can decide. I'm going to tell you a story. If you want to sit down, that's fine, too. I know. They took away our rug. And sitting on this icky tile, I'd sit in that chair, too. I don't blame them. I'm going to tell you a story of something that happened to me yesterday. I was going to Walmart. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I was a little late getting there. And as I pulled into the to the road that takes you to Walmart, there was a woman sitting right there at the stop sign in a wheelchair. And she had a sign, and I saw, as I pulled into Walmart, I saw some people pulling over and handing things out the window to her, out the car window to her. So I said, okay. So I went into Walmart, and I got my groceries, got what I needed. It took me about 45 minutes or so. And I came back out, and as I looked up, that woman was still sitting there at that stop sign. And um, she was still in the wheelchair. And as I pulled up to that stop sign, I saw her sign that said she was homeless and that she needed help getting something to eat. And she just needed some help. So at that point, I knew I, I had two decisions to make. I could ignore her and go on my way. Or I could put the car in park and tie up the the traffic and get out and hand her some money. So I decided I put the car in park and reached in my wallet and I pulled out $5, which isn't a whole lot of money, and got out of the car. And as I handed her that money, what I noticed was um, she didn't smell real good. I noticed that her clothes were not clean. I noticed that her hair had not been washed in a while. Um, I noticed that um, she was tiny um, and was probably hungry. The other thing I noticed is that there were people pulling around my car. And there was a man and a woman on a motorcycle. I hope there was nobody in this room, but I'm sure it was not. There was a man and a woman on a motorcycle. And as they came around me, the woman shouted something at me. I don't know if she was shouting it at me or shouting it at the woman. She shouted something that, by the tone of her voice, I knew it wasn't it wasn't helpful. Um, but I gave that woman $5, and I got back in my car, and I went on my way. Well, you know, $5 isn't a whole lot of money. Um, I had $5. I, I gave this woman $5. Um But if I gave her $5 and everybody in this room gave her $5, that would be helpful. Um, You know, when we say that we are followers of Jesus, that gives us um, the calling to help people. 
and I, I had the capacity to help her, and she needed that help. Um, now, what I'm going to do is give you all that same test. I'm not going to give you five dollars. Um, but what I am going to give you is I'm going to give you two a bag each. So um, here's a bag for you, and here's a bag for you. Now, in that bag is some stuff I really like. (laughs) Chocolate. God made chocolate on the eighth day and called it good. (laughs) That's in my version of the Bible. (laughs) But you have two of each kind of candy in there. So, you have two choices. You can either keep it all for yourself... Or you can keep some of it, keep one of each kind, and give one of each kind to somebody else who might find that to be helpful. Now, I will say that if you take it home and give it to somebody else who really doesn't need it, it would be like me giving $5 to Brad Staten. Brad probably doesn't need $5. He would probably take my $5 and in a few weeks give me $8 back because he had invested it. I'd do the same with Mark Chumbler. He'd give me $8 back because they invested it. But... The whole point is, when we follow Jesus, we find people who need help, and we help them. Um, So finding people who might not have the capacity to buy candy and sharing it is our way of following Jesus. Um, It's called compassion. Jesus had compassion on folks who didn't have as much. Um, And we are called to do the same thing. Let's pray. God, you call us to make decisions. Help us to share what we have. And bless those who don't. Thanks for loving every one of us who are created in your image. Amen.
Will you pray with me? Gracious God, wherever you lead, we do want to go. We do want to be compassionate people, as Mary mentioned, and helpful people. Please take these gifts, these tithes, these offerings, all the talents that you have given us, and use them to use them to build our mission and to help other people find you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. comes from Mark, the 8th chapter, verses 27 through 35. I encourage you to read along with me from the words above me or from your Bible. The scripture reads, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on the divine things, but on human things. He called the crown, he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. This is the word of God.
Isn't that cool? I love good music, and I love that we're a church who loves good music. Have you picked up on the theme for today? Look at these songs of our, the titles of our song. Walking with Jesus. Footsteps of Jesus. Wherever He leads, I'll go. Walk ye in Him. Walking with Jesus. And then the title of the sermon. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I have decided to follow Jesus. You picked up on that yet? Just kind of get the, the idea of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, some of you may have heard this uh, delightful story about a missionary. She was sitting at her second story window, just kind of contemplating life and probably was in prayer when she was handed a letter from home. And she opened the letter and a crisp new $10 bill fell out of the letter. And she was pleasantly surprised, but as she read the letter from home, she noticed that there was a shabbily dressed stranger down below. He was leaning up against the post in front of her building. And she couldn't get him off of her mind. And thinking that he, he probably is in greater financial stress than she was, she slipped the bill into an envelope and quickly wrote on the envelope these words, Don't despair. She threw it out the window to the man, and the stranger picked it up, read the note, and looked up, smiled as he tipped his hat and went on his way. Well, the next day, she was about to leave the house when there was a knock on her door, and she found that same shabbily dressed man smiling at her as, she, as he handed her a roll of bills. And when she asked what they were for, he replied, That's the 60 bucks you won, lady. Don't despair. Paid off five to one. <laughs> See, you thought I was going in another direction with that, didn't you? (laughs) Don't you wish life always worked out that way? Don't you wish it worked out like that? I mean, I, I, I wish that every time we did something good for someone else, we would receive an instant reward. And if that were the case, then everybody would be doing good all the time, wouldn't they? And... All the problems of the world would be solved pretty much overnight. But that's not the way life works out, is it? In fact, this shabbily dressed stranger could have just as easily been approaching her to harass her for more money. And how many times have you heard the expression that no good deed goes unpunished? Have you ever experienced that in your own life? I have. You do something good for somebody and it turns around to bite you. Sometimes it seems that it's just the way things turn out. So why bother? Why should we do good for others who may or may not reward us for our efforts? Where's the motivation to be a generous, caring person if life doesn't reward you for it? Well, there's obviously only one motivation, and that is because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus and his disciples were on their way to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and they were go- as they were going, Jesus asked the disciples, Who do people say that I am? 
And they replied, some say that you were John the Baptist, some Elijah, and still others, some of the prophets, one of the prophets. They looked at them, and I picture him looking them in the eye and being a little more direct in this. When he said, but who do you say that I am? And of course, it was Simon Peter who answered, you are the Messiah. And at this, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone. He began to teach them that the time would come soon when he, would must, he must suffer and be rejected by the, the leaders of the Jewish faith and that he would be killed and after three days rise again. And Peter did not like what he was hearing. And so he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him and said, Jesus, you shouldn't be saying this, especially out loud to all of these people. And Jesus turned the tables on Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're thinking, you're not thinking in the ways of God. You're thinking with a human mind, with, you're thinking with human concerns. And then he gathered the crowd around him and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for, for me and for the sake of the gospel. They'll save it. Now, I want you to notice that he doesn't promise that if we serve him, then things are going to be great for us. That's not what he says. And he doesn't say that that people will praise us for following him. And he doesn't say that our health and our finances will be the envy of the neighborhood. In fact, he seems to be saying just the opposite of this, doesn't he? Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, most of us are really not all that into losing our lives, are we? In fact, most of our thoughts are about how to enhance our lives. Finding the right stocks to invest in. Finding the right cream to remove our wrinkles. Finding the right school to get our children into. And things like that to help our lives be better. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But losing our lives? Why would we ever want to lose our lives? Well, there's only one reason. And that's because we follow Jesus. You see, there are three basic characteristics that that Jesus had that you and I desperately need if we are going to follow Jesus. And the first one is the one that Mary mentioned a little while ago. Compassion. More than anything else, Jesus was motivated by compassion for others. And that word compassion literally means to enter into the pain of others. To know what others are going through. The word literally means to hurt with. To, to share in the pain of someone else. And that's why Jesus came to this earth, isn't it? To experience what it means to be a human being and, and to demonstrate God's love to the least and the lost. Most of you are familiar with uh, Mark Twain's fascinating book uh, called The Prince and the Pauper. That's a story about two boys who were born on the same day in, in uh, 1547 in London, England. They are remarkably similar in their appearance, but they are nothing alike in their circumstances. 
You see, the first boy, his name is uh, Tom Canty. He's dressed in rags. He lives in the filth of some of the some of the worst slums in London. He's unwanted by his father. His father frequently beats him and forces him to go out during the day to beg for money. But Tom dreams that one day he will be a person of distinction. The second boy is Edward Tudor, who happens to be the son of King Henry VIII. He lives his life as a prince. He, he's raised in the palace. He's wrapped in the finest silks. He's protected from the, the horrible conditions that exist beyond the palace walls. And because of this, he is absolutely oblivious to the misery and the injustice experienced by many of the common folk. Well, one day Tom, the pauper, sneaks his way into the royal court, hoping to see, just to get a peek of what royal, how royalty lives. But he's caught by the guards, and he's beaten by the guards. And, and seeing what's happening, seeing Tom's predicament, Prince Edward steps in and rescues the boy and takes Tom into his private quarters where he will be safe. And it is there that Tom confesses, after a little conversation, about his own desires and his own dreams to live as, as better people in society live. And at this point, the boys decide that, at least for a while, they're going to switch places. The prince will become the pauper, and the pauper will become the prince. And, and because the two boys are so similar in their appearance, they're able to pull it off. The first thing they decide to do is to switch their clothes temporarily. And, but ironically, the result of that is that Prince Edward is, is wearing these dirty beggar clothes and, and he's mistaken for the beggar and he's kicked out of his own palace. And when he protests that he's actually the prince, nobody believed him. And at the same time, Tom, now sitting in the palace, he has no idea how to be a prince. But he has some good common sense and, and nobody really suspects that he's a, an imposter. And the story follows the adventures of these two boys who are trying to reestablish their true identities. But along the way, something significant happens. You see, the young prince discovers the horrible plight of the poor in London. In particular, because he spends some time in jail, he discovers the harsh punitive nature of the so-called justice system that was crushing the poor of his community. And as a result, Prince Edward became a much more compassionate person. And that's fortunate because at the very time he returns to the palace to take his rightful place, his father dies. And he becomes the new king. Much like that, Jesus came into our world to experience what it's like to be human. And the result of that great experiment was that his overarching attitude towards almost everyone that he encountered was compassion. Remember how he wept over Jerusalem? 
Remember how Matthew explains his ministry of healing and feeding? He says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. My friends, Jesus knows what it's like to be a human being. He's not just a prince sitting on a throne somewhere. He knows what it's like to, to struggle through life. He knows what it's like to, to, to face the struggles that we have. He knows what it's like to be poor and in prison. He knows the struggles that you are facing in your life today. And He feels great compassion for everyone who is harassed and helpless and who suffers in any way. And so if we're going to take up our cross and follow Jesus, then we too will need to see the world as Jesus saw the world, through the eyes of compassion. The second characteristic which Jesus had that allowed Him to take up His cross and give His life for us is courage. Many of you probably remember a terrifying event that took place on a cold Wednesday morning in January of 1982 in Washington, D.C. There was a blizzard that day, and a plane, Air Air Florida Flight 90, was ready for takeoff from the Washington National Airport. But the plane had been sitting on the tarmac for over an hour, and nobody examined the wings for icing before it took off. And so the plane had attempted to take off, and as it tried to climb into the air, the weight of the ice and the, the diminished aerodynamic qualities that it caused caused this plane to clip the bridge over the Potomac River. And it did a tailspin. It, cr- it crashed right into the icy waters of the Potomac, and there it sat. Suddenly there were sirens everywhere. There were ambulances and police cars and fire trucks. But for the most part, they were too late. It was too little too late. Seventy-eight people died immediately. But there were a few survivors. Few people were able to crawl out onto the demolished tail section of the plane. And, and one, woman, one woman panicked and she dove into the water and floated down the icy water screaming for help. The people on the, on the shore, were they stood there, they were panicking, they didn't know what to do. And, and then they began running for help. And, and one man dove into this, the icy waters of the Potomac and swam out to the woman rescuing her from certain death. Later, that young man said, somebody had to help that woman. Now there were six other people clinging, clinging to the section, the tail section of that plane. And a rescue helicopter hovered over them. And someone in the helicopter lowered a long cable with a life ring at the end. This was the only hope that these six survivors had. And, and among those six survivors, there was a man in his 50s, balding, kind of portly, pot-bellied, with this giant mustache. The lifeline came down from the chopper right to this man, and the big man grabbed it, but rather than putting it around himself, he put it around another person clinging to that destroyed plane. The helicopter picked that person up, rescued that person, and took them to shore. A second time, the scene was replayed. And then a third time. 
and then a fourth time, and then a fifth time. Each time, this big, portly, balding man with the large mustache took that life ring and gave it to one of the other passengers. And the helicopter came back the sixth time. And he was gone. Arlen Williams had drowned. while saving others. The chopper pilots later said, I have never seen anyone with that kind of commitment in a crisis situation. And later when they found his body and and he was identified, a friend said, well, that's just the kind of person he was. He was always giving of himself to others. That was his nature. You know, a lot of time in the a lot of times in the Christian world, you know, we we Christians we have this jargon that we use and we throw things out there and we talk a lot about compassion when we describe our faith. And that's an important thing. Don't get me wrong; it's very important. But maybe we need to talk more also about the courage that it takes to live out our compassion. Now, I'm sure that Arlen Williams wanted to survive that plane crash just as much as anybody else. But he had the courage to risk sacrificing his own life in order that others might live. And of course, it was a risk that he lost. Or did he? Not according to Jesus. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, said Jesus. And whoever loses their life for me and for the sake of the gospel, they will save it. It takes compassion to be a follower of Jesus. And it also takes courage to put that compassion into practice. But there's one more characteristic of Christ that we need in order to follow Him. You see, we also need a calmness of spirit. And this, this is a calmness that comes to us because deep down in our hearts, we know that the way of the cross is the only way to live. It's a calmness that comes to us even when we're in the midst of a crisis. It's a calmness that comes to us when we know that ultimately in God's world, life conquers death. death. And love con- conquers hatred. And courage conquers cowardice. Back in 1932, John and Betty Stamm traveled from the United States to China to become missionaries. Since about 1900, Christians in China had been facing a lot of persecution and violence. There was a a communist uprising in those days. The communists had not taken over China as of yet, but they were very active and very, very involved. And the Stams knew that they were they were putting their lives on the line. And yet their letters home always revealed an overwhelming joy at following Jesus' call. They had a daughter while there, Helen Priscilla. They had a fruitful ministry there, but the anti-Christian sentiment and persecution was beginning to, to escalate. And in 1934, 
communist revolutionaries broke into the Stam household and took them as hostage. They demanded a ransom. And once again, the Stam's letters home reflected an unimaginable courage and joy. As John Stam wrote, as for us, may God be glorified, whether by life or by death. And then on December the 8th, 1934, when it became evident that no ransom was coming, the revolutionaries decided to kill John and Betty Stam. They stripped them naked. They tied their hands behind their backs. They marched them through the streets. And as they walked through the streets naked, the soldiers hurled insults at them and encouraged the villagers to do the same. And then they took them out to a hill outside of the city and they executed, executed them. Baby Helen was abandoned in a farmhouse by the side of the road. The traveling evangelist found baby Helen and smuggled her out of, out of China. Eventually brought her to the United States where her, her grandparents raised her. But the story has an interesting twist, an interesting conclusion. Because you see, when news about John and Betty Stam's martyrdom reached their colleagues back at the Moody Bible Institute in the United States, over 700 students volunteered to take their place in China on the mission field. How could John and Betty Stam be so calm and so courageous in the face of what they were facing and standing up for their faith? I think the only answer to that is that they knew that the gospel is true. And they knew that in the end, Jesus will triumph. And, they could, and they, I'm sure they could not know that their sacrifices, when they were reported, that more than 700 students would volunteer to take their place. But I doubt that they would be surprised. Because, you see, that's the way, the life, of, uh, way life works in the kingdom of God. When you stand up for what's right, when you do what's right, when you proclaim what is right, when you take up the cross and follow Jesus, you might lose the fight. But guess what? Jesus will ultimately win the war. Others will see what you have done and they will join the battle because... They've been inspired by your courage and by your compassion. These are the three characteristics of Christ that you and I so desperately need to follow Jesus. Compassion for others. The courage to live out that compassion. To take the risks to be compassionate. And a calmness of spirit because we believe Christ's words that whoever loses their life for me and for the sake of the gospel will ultimately save it. Amen. Let's sing our closing hymn. Another one about following Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. You know, that's another phrase that we kind of toss around a lot. I have decided.
And you kind of need to do that to decide to follow Jesus. But deciding, folks, pardon my grammar, English teachers, but it ain't enough to just decide. You got to do. You got to do. You got to do. You got to follow. You got to make Jesus your Lord and not not just be a fan. Be a follower. Have you decided to follow? I hope so. of us a place where we may empty ourselves of our self-importance and become vulnerable to your word, O God. Help us to set our faces firmly against safe, expedient lives and towards the risky life of discipleship. Let us pursue the adventure of losing our lives in order to find them in you. Guide us, O Lord, to follow the way of the cross where despair is transformed by the promise of new life and where we are compelled to go, to go to those who have more pain in their lives than hope. Help us, O God, to be compassionate, to be courageous and calm. 
for your sake. Amen. Amen.